How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Amen. Father, we uh, lift Andy to you this morning. We pray that uh, the word that you have given him is heard by us. We pray that you bless him with peace and wisdom as he speaks this morning. Amen. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's wonderful to see uh, so many people and uh, new faces and all the like, so it's great to be together. And uh, we're in the middle of a series looking at the ands of the Bible, the, the tensions of life and faith. Um, and uh, today we're looking at the whole thing of, of being both dead and alive, and what does that mean? Now, you might have heard the story about the man who thought he was dead. Um, in fact, he was absolutely convinced that he was dead. Um, his wife and kids were getting exasperated with him, um, and he kept telling him, listen, there's no way you're dead. You're walking, you're talking, you're breathing. How can you possibly be dead? But he was absolutely convinced by it and was insistent on it. So eventually, they decided to take him to the doctors. I think there's no hope for him, but uh, hopefully the doctor will sort him out. The doctor pulls out all of his medical books, and he goes through all what the essential vital vital signs of life are, uh, including the fact that dead men don't bleed. And eventually, after about an hour of this, he convinces him of what that involves, and he says, and he agrees, dead men don't bleed. Fantastic, he thinks. So he gets his finger, gets a pinprick, and puts in his finger, and out comes a drop of blood. And the guy stares at it, incredulous, and he says, unbelievable, dead men do bleed. And uh, it's a story that illustrates that when our strength of uh, presupposition is so strong that whatever evidence comes to the contrary, that we've refused to believe it. Perhaps like England winning a penalty shootout, um, but it does happen. And so it is in this passage in Romans chapter 6, but it's the other way around. Because here it says that in fact we are dead, that we are dead, we are dead to sin. Um, and yet, so often in our lives, our experience of it and our thinking of it is that it's very much uh, alive because we know there are things in our life that we get wrong. We know there are things in our life, uh, in our own eyes that we get wrong, how much more in God's eyes. You know, we, we hurt people, we let people down, we're self-centered in our living and we feel shame in, in some of the ways that we behave. 
And it's like that shopping trolley with a dodgy wheel. You know, you try and push it in this direction, but it keeps veering off into the other direction. And uh, I love this story from uh, it was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle who once tried to play a practical joke where he did. And he sent a telegram to 12 very, very respectable people of his day. And the telegram, all it said was, flee at once, all has been discovered. He knew nothing about them at all. Flee at once, all has been discovered. Within 12, 24 hours, every one of them had left the country. Every one of them had something to hide. And I wonder today, if you got that telegram, would you be a little bit hot under the collar? I remember a head teacher, um, a kid was dragged into his head teacher's classroom and he sat down, this is, this is true as a guy at my school, and uh, the head said to him, so you know why you're here, don't you? And he said, well, not really. He said, well, tell me why you think you might be here. And he went through a whole catalogue of crimes he'd committed that were not the reason. He should have pled silence, shouldn't he, and, uh, on all of that. But the Bible says here that as believers in Jesus, we are dead to sin. And the question is, do we really know that? The power that it has isn't there anymore. And uh, we see this word know, okay? It's used three times by Paul here in just a few verses. Verse three says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. Verse six, he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Verse nine, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Verse 11, and so in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the question is, do we know these things? Do we believe this truth um, that we read? Um, Paul uses his repetition here because he wants us to really understand, really know this basic doctrine in life. And when we come across, uh, when we read our Bibles and we find a promise, then uh, we claim that promise. When we read uh, our Bibles and we find a command, we, we, um, we obey that command. And when we find a truth, then we're to believe it. We're to take it on board in our hearts and lives. And the basic truth here is that as believers, we are identified with Jesus in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Our old self died. Our old self was buried, and our new self has been raised to life again. So the first five and a half chapters of the book of Romans are all about our sins, the things that we get wrong in life. But now he's talking about sin as a principle. Okay, sins are our actions. Sin is that power that is at work uh, within us um, that causes it. Sins are the fruits, if you like, and sin is the root cause. So if you get a disease like measles, then you get this rash uh, on your body. But we also know that it's caused by a virus that is on the inside. And um, our sins are like the, the rash. They're the symptoms of an underlying problem. And you can try and treat the sins, you can try and treat the rash, but actually what you want to do is eradicate the virus. And that is what has happened when it comes to sin. Paul reminds us that we have died to sin, the very cause of the problem. And so the first part of Romans is about the substitution. You know, Jesus has given himself for us. He's died in our place, he died for me. But this second part is our identification with him. That not only did he die for me, but I died with him. Um, the first is this word justification, which simply means that God's righteousness is freely put into my account. 
in heaven. I'm freely forgiven. Justification. Sanctification is about how does this work out in my life? How does this become real in my everyday life? The first, we're saved by his death. The second, effectively, we're saved by his life because he rose um, conquering sin. So as a Christian, I am in Christ. I am identified with him. Therefore, whatever happened to him happened to me. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose, I rose again. And I'm now seated with him in the heavenly realms. And so the question is, do you really know that? You know, last week we celebrated um, the baptism of, uh, of Max. And um, it was just an amazing opportunity because baptism is a public declaration of that identification. As you go into the water, you are buried. Okay, you die, your old self dies, you are buried in the water and then you rise again out with and in Christ. It is an identification that declares to the world, to the church and to the heavenly places that I am claiming that identification and that truth that I am in Jesus, I am identified with him. And I encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, it's an important step in our discipleship journey. But in life, we can either be ruled by our old sinful nature or we can be ruled by God's righteousness. Um, a little aside on good and evil, because it uh, pertains to our talk today. The biblical worldview is that behind good is goodness himself, that is God. But also behind evil, there is a, a very real personified power of evil that the Bible calls the devil. Um, I'm not talking about some kind of medieval caricature with a red leotard and a, and a pointy stick and a tail, any more than we're talking about God as a guy with a white beard floating around on a cloud with a harp. But there's a very real reality to this. Um, and he is the one who wants to get us to doubt the truth. Jesus called him the father of lies, whereas Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He has, a, he has power over dominion of darkness, whereas Jesus rules over the kingdom of light. And whereas Jesus and God wants us to believe the truths, he comes and does everything he can to get us to disbelieve or to doubt the truth about ourselves. And if we doubt the truth that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, then it will stop us from living in the reality and the freedom that God calls us to do. So before we become Christians, our identification is with Adam, okay? That's what our, our New Testament's teaches. We're identified with Adam, who is of sin, who is under judgment and condemned effectively because of sinful nature. Our very nature was sin, and therefore we were separated from God, spiritual death. We served ourselves, and we effectively served this character, the devil, in how we lived. But when we become Christians, then our nature changes. Look at this in 2 Peter 1.4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. We participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world. Before we had a sinful nature, that was our natural tendency. But now we participate in Christ's divine nature. Uh, it doesn't mean we are divine, it doesn't mean we are eternal, but it means we are eternally united with Jesus' divine, his divinity. 
Paul put it like this, he says, once you were darkness, but now you are light. So live as children of the light. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There was an old self, and that old self in me was motivated to live independently of God and was therefore characterized by sin in my life. But the truth here is, it died, Romans 6.6. It died. Unbelievable, it is remarkable. And the truth that we have to believe, it is is dead and it is buried. And now there is a new self. Every Christian believer has a new self motivated now by your new identity in Jesus. And therefore we want to live to please him. It is characterized by our dependence on God. And that bit of us came alive, Galatians 2.20. Your old self had to die so that you could cut its break its relationship with sin being its master and dominating our lives. But being a new person like this doesn't mean that you are suddenly sinless, okay? But since your old self has been crucified and has been buried with Christ, you no longer have to sin. You no longer need to sin. It is now a free choice that you have. You can still act independently of God if you want to. But your death to sin ended your relationship with sin as our master, but sin still exists. Sin didn't die, okay, this is really important. Sin did not die, you died to sin. Sin is still alive and kicking. It is still strong and very appealing in our lives, but its power and its authority over you is completely broken. But that part of you and that part of me before is still pretty well trained in independent living, okay? When I, when I first became a Christian, I know that some things changed overnight and some things have been a daily, ongoing, regular battle in my life. So for example, uh, when I, I, before I was a Christian, I, used to, I had a very foul language. I used to swear all the time. It would shock you how I spoke. But when I became a Christian, it's not that I suddenly tried to stop, it's just that it became so ugly to me that it stopped. So, I can see the power of that. And yet there are other parts of my life where it wasn't like that. But that's how it is with us. We still have memories. We still have habits. We still have conditioned responses and thought patterns that are ingrained in our minds and in our brains, which prompt us to focus on our own interests in life. But Paul says you're no longer in the flesh. You're no longer in the sinful nature as your old self was. You are now in Christ. However, we still have to choose to walk according to the new nature and to serve God rather than ourselves. But it is our choice and it's our responsibility. We're to put to death the misdeeds of the body and on a daily basis learn to walk according to the spirit, Galatians 5 and 16. By renewing our minds with the truth and that means speaking it out and it means choosing to believe the truth that that old bit of me is dead that I am dead to sin, I am alive to Christ. I am no longer a slave to the sinful nature, but I am free to offer myself as an instrument of righteousness. Now the New Testament uses another metaphor, which is that of new birth. Read about it in John 1, for example, where it says that, that he gives us the right to become children of God. Born not of natural descent, but born of God. Do you know, really know that as a Christian, you have been born of God. It's almost like you have a second birthday. 
Okay, you've had a new birth in your life. And um, when our daughter was uh, 21, we did a photo book for her, and we just took some photos of how she's kind of grown up over the years, and uh, that's some of them, some of them there. And uh, what happens where, when a baby is born is that it develops the nature that it's born with. We had some, um, uh, we had some birds nesting, some little robins nesting in our hedge, and the eggs are kind of there, and out of the egg comes, surprise, surprise, another robin. Okay? The nature of a bird comes from the nature of a bird. Whatever your DNA is, is what you develop into. As with humans, we develop as humans. The human nature unfolds and finds expression. But in the New Testament, there is this stunning truth that you, as a Christian, have been born of God. Okay? That means that God's nature, God's nature can unfold in you and find expression in your life. And this new nature, this divine nature, is planted deep, deep within us and begins to radically change us from the inside out. And if you think of life for a minute um, and the nature of life, you know, take a rock. You know, a rock is, is not living. Okay? It doesn't do a lot. You, know, you can chuck them around, but they don't really do a lot. Well, they take billions of years to do anything anyway. A plant has got a little bit more to it than a rock. You know, a plant can sense its environment. It knows when it's light and when it's dark. It knows when it's wet and at the moment when it's not wet, it's dry. It knows what up is and what down is so it can grow in the right direction. Um, it knows what hot is and cold is. It, it can sense something of its environment. But then if you think about an animal, an animal can sense even more of its life. You know, it can sense danger. Um, it can escape if it's required. Most animals can see and hear. It, can, it has a better understanding of the reality around it. You know, a dog makes a great pet, a cabbage doesn't. You know, there's just something more about an animal. But then there are humans, human nature, and we sense even more about reality. You know, we have reason and we have hope and we express ourselves in art and writing and music. You know, we think ahead, we sense the future, we foresee the challenges of the planet, um, we engage with politics in the world, and we perceive good and evil, justice and injustice. We have a better understanding, a better sense of reality around our world because we have human nature. You know, if an animal kills another animal, we don't think twice about it. But if a human does, or a gang does, or a tribe does, or a nation does, then they have to answer for it because we, un we understand justice and injustice, etc. Different orders of life get a better sense of reality and act effectively in that sense of reality. And so it is with new birth because here we have a divine nature. Okay? It's something even more. You know, what happens if you, if you give pigs diamonds or pearls? They just munch them. They don't realize what's there. They don't realize the value that, that we sense in them. Um, as Jesus talked about that, didn't he, in Matthew 7. It just keeps munching. It can't sense the full reality. And when we talk about things of God in our society, very often that's a little bit what it's like. You know, we say words like God, and we talk about the holiness of God or the grace of God or the love of God or Jesus on the cross. And uh, people might understand them as abstractions, but they don't really get it. Okay? They can't sense the full reality that is behind those concepts that change our lives. They're not electrifying 
in their lives as concepts. And so people don't act on them. You know, pearls and diamonds, they just keep on munching, not realizing what's before them or even in our own lives. You know, Jesus comes 2,000 years ago and people chewed him up and spat him out. They didn't get him. Um, But the way to receive this new nature, this divine nature, is through new birth. Because then we're able to see things. Then we're able to see a new reality. We're able to see the full reality of life, who we really are, that we are children born of God with a new nature and live accordingly. I love this from C.S. Lewis. He said this, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by, by its light I see everything else. Okay, everything else, there's a new reality beginning to make sense of life. So do you know those things, says Paul? Do we know these things? That we are dead to sin, that our old self is dead and buried, and that sin is no longer our master. When Jesus died on the cross, the Father allows the Son to, to bear the sin of the world, to be sin, to be a sin offering, to bear sin in his body. And uh, he has sin in him, on him, and all the rest of it. But when he rose from the tomb, sin wasn't there anymore. And when he ascends to the Father, sin isn't on him anymore. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father, and there is no sin in him. And we as believers are seated in heavenly places in him, in Christ Jesus. And therefore, there is no sin on us. We are dead to sin. And if you're a Christian trying to die to sin, then you'll find it a fruitless exercise because actually you're already dead to it. You're already dead to it. It has already been done. What we need to do is believe it in our hearts and lives. And Romans 6 is all past tense. Okay? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. We have been united with him in a death like his. Our old self was crucified because who has died has been set free. All of it is past tense. It is already true and therefore it's a case of whether we believe it. And the battle in all of this goes on in our minds. That is the way that the enemy works. That's the way the, the struggles that we have. Paul says it in Romans 7:23. He says, I see a whole other law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And so the devil gets us to think that you are the only one in the battle, that it's just you getting it wrong, it's you failing time and time again in your life. But just imagine for a moment, you were in a um, west of Scotland, okay? middle of July and uh, you're in a, a lovely part of the world and you're in a shed, not a shed, a cottage, beautiful cottage and the owner of the cottage says enjoy everything but after six o'clock whatever you do don't open the door. Six o'clock whatever you do do not open that door. But um, the view is beautiful, the sunset looks amazing so you decide to open the door and out comes this massive blood sucking insect. You've been warned. Okay. He lands on your arm with his feet and his mandibles and his knife and fork and everything and he's going to feast uh, big time on you. Who are you going to take it out on? You or the insect? Probably the insect. 
Yeah, you take it out on the insects. Yeah, you shouldn't have opened the door. Okay, you're going to have a bit of a go at yourself for opening the door. I shouldn't have opened the door, but I want to get rid of this insect. In real life, though, the blood-sucking insect is invisible. When we open the door to sin, this is actually what, kind of what happens, but we don't realize it. And so we just beat ourselves up all the time. And what James says in James 4 verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God. So yeah, close the door and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. So first of all, submit to God. Sorry God, I shouldn't have opened the door. I should have listened, the door to sin. Forgive me. And he does. He forgives us. He's already forgiven us. We shut the door. But the bug is still hanging off us. It's still causing us grief. It's still causing us pain. And uh, we need to deal with that as well. And so we resist the devil. And he will flee from you. And we do that by renewing our minds. By reminding ourselves of the truth that we have died to sin. And we are alive in Christ. We believe it and we declare it as true. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in Luke 4? He said, it is written. It is written three times. He declares the truth of the situation. I am dead to sin and I am alive to God in Jesus Christ. This sin no longer rules over me. Jesus is my loving ruler and master. Be gone. So we submit to God, close the door, confess our sin, and then resist him by declaring the truth and believing it. We don't beat ourselves up because Romans 8 1 says there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that is where we are. We are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. But submit to God, confess and turn from your sin and resist the devil by believing the truth and declaring the truth. Because the battle, the devil battles for our minds. And if he can influence our thoughts, then he can control our behaviors. And therefore, we have to deal with it at that point. And he doesn't come like a bull in a china shop. He always comes like a snake in the grass. He lies, he lures, and he tempts. And have none of it. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Power has been broken. Now, if somebody came to you and said, can I borrow your car? And uh, maybe somebody nice like Martin came and said, I want to do some amazing stuff with the young people. We're going to go and make some big difference in some part of the community. Can I borrow your car? A noble purpose. And uh, you know, we'll say, of course, that's, that's a great thing to do if we're able to do that. Someone else may come to you at the weekend and say, can I borrow your car? I've got a heist on, okay? I'm gonna do some armed robbery. Can I borrow your car? That's, that's a less noble reason to lend your car, just if you wanted some clarity on that one. You could loan your car to either, okay? It's your choice. So it is with our bodies. So it is with our living and our lives. We can either offer our, our bodies as as, as for instruments of righteousness, or we can offer them to sin, as it were, and to the wrong thing. It is our choice. You can go the way of sin, you can go the way of righteousness. One will give you freedom, um, that's the righteousness one. One will enslave you, but it is still your choice. But Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Do not let sin reign. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin, but offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, you are under grace. And the great thing about grace is it allows you to grow when you get it wrong. And we will get it wrong, okay? But it allows us to grow. Grace makes us grateful. 
It makes us grateful when we realize we've got a whole new nature. God is given his nature. He's unfolding his nature within us. You know, I want to be grateful for that. And also grace brings us into a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, and therefore, because it's a personal relationship with him, we want to please him. Okay? Because actually we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus. Uh, a few months after my parents were married, I think it was about three or four months, um, my dad was in a, a really bad road traffic accident. Uh, him and his, his mate were driving, uh, dense fog, came to a T-junction, uh, didn't see the car coming the other way, car hit them, spun around, lamppost comes down, crashes down across the car. Uh, significant kind of head injuries and all the rest of it. My dad was unconscious for, for a, a number of days. I don't know, exactly know how long. But the weirdest thing was that when he came round, he had forgotten he was married. Okay? He couldn't remember that he got married. How weird would that be? And, uh, and yet so often in our lives, you know, Romans 7 teaches us that we're effectively married to Jesus, that we're in a covenant relationship with Jesus. And how often do we forget that actually the way we live differently is because we want to please uh, our, our Jesus. You know, the church is his bride. We belong to him who's been raised from the dead. So live our lives to please him. Don't forget who we are married to, who we belong to. Let's honor him with our lives and with our living because we have a new nature. We have the very spirit of God living with us. So let's walk with him. So, as we end, you are dead and you're alive. You are dead to sin and you're alive to Christ. So can we say that? Can we say, I am dead and I am alive? Let's all say it together. I am dead and I am alive. I am dead to sin and I am alive to Christ. Let's pray together. Maybe the band could come up. Let's uh, just... Here's some words that you may want to just echo in your own heart, uh, whoever you are today. Um, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong in thought, in word, in deed. I confess my sins to you. I ask you for forgiveness and I receive that forgiveness now. Fully forgiven. Thank you. I thank you that as I put my trust in you, you give me a new birth, a new nature, that the old has gone and that new has come. Thank you that when you died and were buried, my old self died with you and was buried in you. I choose to believe that today. From this point forward, I count myself dead to sin, but alive to you, God, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I won't let sin reign in my mortal body. I won't obey its evil desires. Sin will no longer be my master. But I offer afresh today every part of myself to you as an instrument of righteousness. I submit to you, God, and I resist the devil who must now flee in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to pick up some songs of worship. If you just want to reflect, if you want to just listen to this, if you want someone to pray with you, then the prayer team will be at the back as well. But let's just continue to do business with God in our hearts.